It's time for Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionist Darlene Kavist. Each week, Darlene explains the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned to hear practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through good nutrition. Dishing Up Nutrition is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the moment last. Just kicking down. Well, welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm Darlene Kavis, a certified nutrition specialist and a licensed nutritionist. This show is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness, a company specializing in life-changing nutrition education and counseling. Today we have an amazing life-changing story for you. We do. So if you have anyone in your family or if you're a caregiver of a person with Alzheimer's, or maybe you have a friend with a memory problems, you know, give them a call. Just call them up and say, hey, listen to the show today. Joining me today as our co-host is Leah Wetzel, who is also a certified nutrition specialist and a licensed nutritionist. And more important, probably, <laughs> is she's a new mom of Oliver. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the other thing is about Leah is she's just a great nutritionist who helps clients locally and even internationally. I do. Yeah. So, well, Leah, we've got really got a great show planned today, haven't we? We do, we do. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here with you today, Dar. This show, we've been all week long in the office, just kind of getting excited and, and ramped up for today's guest, who is Dr. Mary Newport, the author of Alzheimer's Disease, What If There Was a Cure? So, as listeners, you may be saying, well, who is Dr. Mary Newport? And what is this cure that she has discovered for Alzheimer's disease? Well, that's a great question. Yeah. So let's introduce our guest, Dr. Mary Newport. Now, we have really been trying to have Dr. Mary on Dishing Up Nutrition for years. Ever since I was, I, I went to the American College of Nutrition Conference in Florida and saw her presentation, and I was so impressed. And so we've just been working hard to get her on the show and um, she's really been available, except the fact that she is a doctor I'm and busy. She, she's on call. Yep. She was on call every Saturday morning, taking care of tiny little babies Yes, when they really needed her. So if this is really our lucky day today. It, it really is. So let me introduce our guest. Her name is Dr. Mary Newport, the author of Alzheimer's Disease, What If There Was a Cure? Welcome, Mary. Uh, good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good. This morning. Good. Very, very good. So you're a trained neonatologist, and that's a doctor who takes care of sick and premature newborns. How did you become a specialist in Alzheimer's disease? Well, I know it's at the opposite end of the spectrum. It so. is. <laughs> <laughs> I used to tell my family when I was young that I would catch them during their second infancy, you know, second childhood. <laughs> That's right. I, I didn't really expect that. <laughs> um, well, my husband, Steve, has early onset Alzheimer's disease. So that's um, how I got involved, you know, with Alzheimer's. He, you know, uh, was an accountant. He stayed home and took care of our children as they were growing up and uh, did accounting from our home. He worked for my practice for many years, and um, then he started having problems when he was about 51 years old. Oh, that is really young, 51. Young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he um, first uh, started making payroll mistakes, and they were very significant mistakes. And I started sitting down with him to help him with the payroll, thinking, well, maybe our practice had just gotten a little bit bigger, 
Uh, then he was procrastinating with getting tax returns in. He just couldn't get himself organized and mm. uh, just get going with it and get it done. And uh, it was very difficult for him at that time. And But then I, I knew something was really wrong when he started having problems remembering if he'd been to the bank and the post office on a given day. Oh, yes. It mm-hmm. was, uh, I thought, that that's not normal. I'm only two years younger than him, and I thought, it's that's just really not normal to forget if you've been to the bank and the post office, and he would bring mail home and just, you know, misplace it. But I couldn't remember if he'd even been to the post office, so I didn't know whether I needed to go looking for the mail or <laughs> no. not. <laughs> so it was a problem, and he was also very depressed at that time. Um, and looking back, he knew that something was wrong. He yes. told me mm-hmm. he knew for quite a while that something was wrong, and he was quite depressed about that. And so we actually took him to see his doctor, and uh, who referred him to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist mentioned dementia at the time, but he said he felt more likely that his memory issues were related to the depression that he was experiencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we put him on an antidepressant. And what we saw, though, over the next year or two, uh, was that he continued to have more and more problem. And we actually moved in when he was uh, 53 in 2003 so that I could start a, open another uh, neonatal intensive care unit, newborn intensive care unit, about an hour north of where we lived for a long time. And when we got there, he had a great difficulty learning how to get around this very small town that was you know, just a few north, south, east, west arteries, mm. and he just couldn't get it. Uh, he couldn't remember which road he was on, which way he was headed, and that was just extremely unusual for him. You know, we had moved before, and he didn't have that problem. Um, and then he would just start, uh, he started spending an inordinate number of hours out in the garage looking for something. Mm-hmm. And in the morning, you know, for example, he decided he wanted to find the hitch for his truck, um, and I'd come home in the evening, and he would still be looking for it out mm-hmm. in the garage, but he couldn't remember what he was looking for anymore. But he would just spend his time, an excessive amount of time, looking for something. And uh, So that, <laughs> had to be, that had to have been really sad for you to see and also mm-hmm. pretty depressing for him. Yeah, yeah, realizing very frustrating that his, for him. And, yeah. and it was confusing, you know, for both of us. Uh, that this was happening, and you know, we also continued to see his accounting skills deteriorate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a little bit. It was like the more difficult things first, like an annual tax return, and then, you know, eventually, and financial statement that just took an extreme amount of time to get finished. And then it was the quarterly tax returns, mm-hmm. which are actually I kind of took over doing that for him. He showed me some of his <laughs> the easier accounting stuff um, as he was deteriorating and. And it t- it would take me twenty minutes, and it would take him three days, you know. Yes, and he was yeah. the accountant, yes. <laughs> and it was all on a computer. It was just, um, you know, he'd use the computer morning, noon, and night. Um, he, if he wasn't working on it, he was playing on it. And yet, his computer skills deteriorated. Uh, and to the, you know, finally, um, you know, so this was around two thousand three, two thousand four. You know, that we were seeing this and. I called our local uh, family Alzheimer uh, Association organization, and they referred me to a doctor, a neurologist that sees a lot of uh, patients with Alzheimer's. And um, he was evaluated. Uh, and one of the surprises right off the bat was that he was given a test called the Mini Mental Status Exam. It was a 30-point test. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, you talk about that in your book. Yeah, I know. Right, right. And the 30 mm-hmm. points, you know, if you're normal, you get 30 points. It's a very easy test. And you might miss one point, and that's still considered normal mm-hmm. to miss one or two things. But she scored only 23 out of 30 on the test. And that was a little bit of a shock. Um, there was a drawing that, that you do on the test. It's, it's trapezoids, two trapezoids that are interlocking. And the, his lines were all over the place. Mm. It didn't even close into even a circle, much less a trapezoid. And, and that was kind of eye-opening, that that's what he was seeing to put down on paper. It was very odd. And um, <clears throat> the doctor said he felt he had some type of dementia, didn't want to call it Alzheimer's at that point, but he had a whole battery of tests done to roll out other things like vitamin B12 deficiency, which can okay. cause memory impairment, sure. and um, hypothyroidism. Mm-hmm. And that type of thing, he had an MRI to make sure he didn't have a brain tumor or something serious like that. And at that point, his MRI was actually normal. Mm. So uh, he's well, going to follow him along and just see him periodically. And you know, so he did about every six months. And and actually, the next time he came back, he had developed a tremor and he had some other new symptoms. And he had. Um, deteriorated even more, and he decided to go ahead and start him on Aricept. He, he felt that he most likely did have uh, early-onset Alzheimer's disease and also set him up with a, a psychiatrist in Spring Hill to help manage his medications and to help with the depression because the depression was a very big part of what was going on with him at that time. And, I mean, if you had early-onset Alzheimer's and you, you were so aware of it as Steve, you know, yes. who, who wouldn't be depressed? Yeah, no kidding. So did the Aricept help him? Because um, no. that's a, a typical medication that they prescribe, isn't it? Right, it is. And um, we didn't really see anything from it, but we also we kept it going because they frighten you a little bit. They yeah, tell you that if I'm, you stop I'm sure. it, once you start it, you need to stay on it for life. I'm the neurologist that actually told us that, too. Um, that it was a lifetime commitment to that medication, and um, that if you stop it, they can deteriorate suddenly, and then you try to restart it, they don't get back up to where they were. So, you know, this particular medication, it's um, it's frightening to start it, but it's also frightening to stop it because you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, but uh, So, Mary, you know what? We are going to have to take a quick okay. little break, <laughs> and I think one of the things that when we come back, um, you know, I think maybe talk a little bit about the clock drawing that you did and right, some right. of the other research. And so if you can yeah, just you bear with us, with <laughs> we, yes. we have to, we have to take commercial. Yes. Our breaks. Yes. And when we come back, we'll talk a lot too more about, um, the therapeutic benefits that, that Steve experienced with coconut oil. So you're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition today because Dr. Mary Newport has so much information to share about how coconut oil has helped her husband, we ask you to hold your questions until after break three. And it may surprise you that saturated fat, the fat in coconut oil and butter, is necessary for proper brain function. But trans fats and refined oils found in margarine or artificial creamers and most of Thanksgiving pies and buns are harmful for your brain function. So we'll be back in a minute. Ever find yourself asking, where did I leave my keys this time? How could I have forgotten that appointment? How will I ever get all this work done when I can't concentrate? Do you ever feel overloaded, like your mind can't keep pace with your life? We expect an awful lot of ourselves. No wonder our brains seem to shut down at times from information overload. 
Good mental functioning requires essential nutrients, especially good fats and protein. A diet high in processed foods and refined carbohydrates can leave you feeling scattered, forgetful, and mentally fatigued. You can improve your mental functioning simply by changing the way you eat. Nutritional Weight and Wellness offers classes and individual consultations that explain how balanced eating supports memory, creativity, focus, and moods. You will learn which breakfast foods give you a power-packed start to your day, along with how to eat for long-term brain health. For more information about classes or individual consultations, call 651-699-3438 or visit weightandwellness.com. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm Darlene Kavis, licensed nutritionist, and I'm here with Leah Wetzel, licensed nutritionist. And our very special guest is Dr. Mary Newport, author of Alzheimer's Disease, What If There Was a Cure? So, Dr. Mary, your husband, Steve, he was really not able to pass some basic tests that you wanted to have him be able to pass to to be able to to qualify for a research medication, right? Right, right. And then you added some coconut oil to his diet. Yeah, yeah. So what, how, why, and... How did that come about? (laughs) How did that come about? Yeah. And what was the result? Yeah, so Steve was, you know, um, we were were still back in 2004 in our last conversation, but now we'll fast forward to 2008, and by then, you know, (laughs) Steve could not even, he was on a downward spiral. He had a lot of physical symptoms, and he could no longer even turn on a computer, much less do any simple math or use a calculator. And he was an accountant, you know, for so many years. So uh, we were looking for clinical trials all all the time, and Mm -hmm. he had been turned down previously because of his history of depression, and then that no longer was a criteria in 2008, you know, for some new studies that were coming up. And so he tried out for a study at University of South Florida, the Bird Alzheimer Institute, um, and this time that MMSC test, the 30-point test, he scored only 12 on. Oh, wow. Um, he went from, what, 20? 23 to 12 yes. over a few years, and um, he needed at least 16 to qualify for the study because they want to study people that have mild to moderate Alzheimer's in most of these drug trials. And so, But he had qualified in every other respect, and the doctor said, well, why don't you come back in a couple weeks and try again? So we were grateful that he was going to have that chance. Um, and then another new drug trial came up. It was a different drug. Both of them, one was a vaccine and one was an oral medication, and they were both aimed at reducing plaque in the brain, which is one of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. that you have these plaques and tangles. And so um, I had two days off in a row, and we scheduled the screenings for these two clinical trials, you know, on two days, two subsequent days. And so the night before the first trial, I was uh, online looking up the risks and the benefits of these two drugs, I thought, you know, what if he gets accepted into both trials? We have to pick one. You can't be in two trials. And I just, by chance, happened upon a third treatment, a press release for it, a medical food that's claimed to improve the memories of nearly half of the people with Alzheimer's that took it. And you don't hear that about any of the Alzheimer's. No, no. I was going to say, that's, that's pretty memories. high. Remarkable. Yes. Yeah. So um, I was very curious. It was called AC1202 at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still about a year or so away from FDA approval um, as a medical food. 
And so I was fortunate to be able to find their patent application. There's a, a website called Free Patents Online that you can look at, at any patent application. And this particular one was about 75 pages long. It had um, covered an aspect of Alzheimer's disease that I really was not very familiar with. And I think a lot of people don't know about this, that it's a type of diabetes of the brain. I th- That's talk right. a little bit more about that, Mary. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> what... There's actually been a lot of groups that work on this, mm-hmm. um, but there is uh, Dr. Suzanne Delamonte and her group at Brown University uh, kind of is the focus of this for me. Um, in 2005, they had published their research in which they looked at the brains of people who had died with Alzheimer's who did not have type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Okay. And what they found was that there is insulin deficiency and insulin resistance in these brains. It all goes back to that insulin resistance, doesn't yes, it? It does. <laughs> and, so, what um, does that really mean, uh, Dr. Mary, when you say that the, ba- the brain cells have insulin resistance? Mm-hmm. So, what happens in the brain then? That means that, uh, you know, basically the, the brain cells normally have these insulin receptors on their cell membranes. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order for glucose, which is the very basic fuel that the brain usually uses, and most of the cells of our body, you know, use glucose most of the time, um, you need insulin to get into the cell. Mm-hmm. And the insulin receptors have to be there for insulin to attach to, to allow glucose into the cell, sort of like putting a key in a lock, you know, um, that allows glucose to get in. And when you have insulin resistance, there's a problem, uh, at least in the brain, there's a problem with the insulin receptors not okay. responding to insulin. You know, okay. it's mm-hmm. like uh, you've got the wrong key. You know, that's how it, it acts. And so glucose can't get into the cells effectively. And, and there's really hundreds or thousands of insulin receptors on each of the neurons in the brain. So over time, this, you know, they deteriorate, um, you know, as the receptors are not working properly. Uh, glucose can't get in, and the cells start to malfunction. You know, the neurons in the brain, they malfunction, and then eventually they will die if they don't get uh, enough Fuel. glucose into the yep. cell. So, Dr. Mary, you know, one of the things that I've noticed talking to caregivers is that they often talk about their mother or dad or whoever they, they're taking care of. Mm-hmm. They have these incredible cravings for sugar, and yeah. all they want to eat is pie and ice cream. And yeah. is that the connection? I, I think it is. Um, Steve had, what he would do, he just had this incredible uh, craving for fruit. Mm-hmm. Because we were trying to eat healthier at that point. We were, had switched over to a whole food diet around 2006. And, but that included fruits. And he would stand at the sink in the evening and eat 10 or 12 pieces of fruit. Okay, so he was trying to get that sugar into his cells. Into the brain. Apparently, the brain knew it needed (laughs) this, but you know, but still, you know, without insulin working properly and insulin receptors still having difficulty getting the glucose into the brain. Um, So I do think that that craving has a lot to do with what's going on there with the insulin resistance. So that might even be kind of a pre-warning for Mm -hmm. some people, right? I mean, some of the people that I've talked to or heard from. You know, said my mother was never like that. She was never into sweets when she was younger, and now she just wants donuts and pastries and <laughs> all day long. You know, and then some of them don't even gain a pound. That's the amazing part. That yes, they, uh, that is again another interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so our, you know, it's like our brain controls our metabolism to 
a large extent. Right. That no one has really looked at, have they? <laughs> no, I mean, they haven't really figured this out yet, you know, what what's going on there. and um, <clears throat> So you then found a new form of energy for the brain cells, didn't you? Yeah, so... Yeah, so basically what happened, I'm reading through this patent application, and they're talking about diabetes of the brain, and their medical food was basically an idea in which an alternative fuel to the brain is provided. And what this means is, you know, when you go into starvation, for example, um, we don't usually, most most of us don't. We try not to. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, when you think of just happened in the Philippines, those people are saying, we need food, we need food. You know, so they're in starvation mode, and um, you know, uh, uh, you know, we've survived as a species because of our ability to put fat on our bodies and then use it. You know, during these times of starvation, and um, what happens is the brain and the other organs can very easily and quickly switch over to using alternative fuels, and one of those is ketones. Mm-hmm. And where these come from is that. Um, when you use up the glucose that's stored in your body, which only takes 36 or 48 hours, you start tapping into your fat. Okay. So you release fatty acids mm-hmm. into the bloodstream, and your muscles and your heart muscle can actually use fatty acids very efficiently. So, but so Dr. Mary, I think, so I think what happens is that right now probably people that are listening thinking, oh, gosh, do it, does do I have to starve myself in order to make these ketones? Right. That, no, so that's the thing. It's not very practical, <laughs> yes. uh, especially for somebody with Alzheimer's yeah. to expect them to starve, you know. <laughs> but there's certain foods that they can incorporate that do that very easily. Right. And so what did you find? What was that food? Okay. So <clears throat> um, the medical food that they were testing uh, was um, medium-chain triglyceride oil, it's called. Mm-hmm. And I recognize this because I'm a neonatologist. I take care of sick and premature newborns. And we used to add it to their feedings in the late 70s, early 80s, um, because they tolerated this particular oil very well, and it would help them gain weight. And then they started incorporating it into the infant formulas. You know, I would beef up the calories by adding MCT oil to it. And what I learned from this um, was that MCT oil was extracted from coconut oil. It was yes. mentioned one time in the patent application. Yep. I found that very, very interesting. I'm I'm a nursing mother, and so when I read mm-hmm. that in your book, it's just fascinating to know that breast milk is about 10 to 17% MCT right. fat, right? Right, right. And, and a lot of it, lauric mm-hmm. acid, which is, is has so much nutrient value, antifungal, antibacterial, antimicrobial, right. and, um, you know, and we look at coconut oil, and coconut oil is is also very high in MCTs and lauric acid. Right, right. It's yes. about 60% um, MCTs and 50% is, uh, of coconut oil is lauric acid, which is one of the MCTs. And exactly. it is very antimicrobial. It kills all kinds of viruses, like you said, virus, fungus, bacteria. Yes. And it's one, when they say that breast milk helps a baby fight infection. That's one of the reasons they say that, because of the lauric acid in it. Mm-hmm. And this is amazing to think of something that's so beneficial to life such er- and early on and crucial for life early on mm-hmm. that that it would be at some point in our life, because it's how, cause sometimes people think coconut oil is, is bad for us, that right. satirifies bad for us, all of a sudden to switch over to be something that's so harmful for us. Mm-hmm. But I, I really liked what you said. So a 10-pound baby gets about, what, like 3.12 grams of MCT oil per quart of breast right. milk. Right. And you expedite that to an adult, like a 150-pound adult, that's about 47 grams of MCT oil mm-hmm. 
about 5.5 tablespoons of coconut oil. Right, right. So, you know, I feel like for prevention, somewhere around, you know, between three to five tablespoons, ideally five if you can handle it, yep. might be beneficial as far as possibly preventing this disease in somebody who's either very early or, exactly. or at risk, you know, but ha- hasn't developed symptoms yet. And we'll get into a little bit more on that, mm-hmm. on amounts of things a little bit later. We'll take another break right now. Um, so please hold on the line. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. Why has coconut oil, you know, so healthy? Why is it so healthy for your brain? Coconut oil contains a unique type of medium chain triglyceride that the body processes differently than most other types of fat. Most fat needs bile from our gallbladder to digest so it is in a usable form. But medium chain triglycerides, also known as MCTs, are are taken up directly from the intestines to the liver and are partially converted to ketones, in which Mary used for her husband to turn on his brain. So we will be right back. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. You know, starting the week of December 4th, we have three new Nutrition for Weight Loss programs starting. And here's just a little testimonial. You know, Leo, who just finished a series... You know, here is his life-changing results. Leo lost 29 pounds in 19 and a half inches. More importantly, Leo said, I made a nutrition consultation appointment with Jennifer and signed up for the Nutrition for Weight Loss program. And this is the thing that really it made it special for him. After four weeks, I, f- I felt less swollen, got rid of a lot of inflammation. That's great. And he had to buy a new pair of pants. So what's so great about this program it's simple, he said. I know that it is an eating plan that I can stay on for the rest of my life. I know as nutritionists, people that follow a healthy eating plan during the holidays enjoy the holiday season much more. Yes. So we have classes starting in St. Paul and in Wyzetta. They start on Tuesday, December 10th, and in North Oaks on Thursday, December 12th. So to sign up, go to 651-699-3438, or you can sign up online, weightandwellness.com. And Great. So back to talking about those very important um, medium-chain triglycerides and, and how they convert in our body. So Mary, mm-hmm. so if glucose can't get into our cells, then you know our cells have no energy and they eventually die, right? Right. Yes. So you discovered through your research of Alzheimer's studies a new field for the brain called ketones. What are ketones? How do we make ketones? Um, and in what forms of foods do we get ketones from? Right, right. So ketones is really a breakdown product of fat. It's kind of the end result when you break down a fatty acid. It's a small molecule, and it can easily cross through the blood-brain barrier to get to the brain, whereas the larger fatty acids cannot. So... Um, it, and the, it's done, you know, this happens in the liver mostly, mm-hmm. that the fatty acids are converted to ketones. And then, so another way to do this is to consume foods that contain medium-chain triglycerides because the medium-chain triglycerides, as you said, you know, uh, just before the break, are uh, taken up from the intestine without digestive enzymes and uh, taken directly to the liver, and part of it is converted to ketones right there in the liver. Mm-hmm. And again, um, it's interesting, when, when ketones are elevated a little bit, it actually increases blood flow to the brain by almost 40%. Wow. 
incredible. That's nice. I remember reading that in your book. Yeah, and um, so the ketones can even more easily get into the brain, and the brain takes them up very quickly and uses them uh, almost immediately. So, um, and the other thing, too, is the medium-chain triglycerides are not stored as fat. They're burned right away as energy, and Mm -hmm. they're burned in muscle, cardiac muscle. And also, um, I found some research recently that the medium chains also cross into the blood-brain barrier, and they're used by astrocytes, which are uh, brain cells that help nourish the neurons. And they're converted in these astrocytes to ketones, and they also oh. enter um, into a chemical pathway that results in producing ATP, which is the final energy molecule that helps cells carry out their functions. So the medium chains themselves uh, appear to be an alternative fuel for the brain. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah, so... um, And so then, Mary, we, you know, the the food sources, again, I think people are wondering, okay, so we've got these medium-chain triglycerides. Where do I, how do I get, what food do I eat? Right, right. So um, there are several options, but um, the the most natural is coconut oil, which contains about 60%, 60% medium-chain triglycerides. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's coconut oil is mostly saturated fat, but most of those saturated fats, 70% of the saturated fats in coconut oil are these medium chain triglycerides, which are very, very different from the long chain mm-hmm. saturated fats. Um, so coconut oil is a big source. You can actually get MCT oil over the counter, which I did not know at that time. Bodybuilders have used it for years. Oh, uh, we have, yeah, we have it at our offices, Mary. And it's also used for weight loss. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been around for a long time. And, um, but, you know, at, the, at that point, I, and well, and then let's see, it's in um, animal, uh, human, well, I guess mammal milk fat, you could say. So human. Like butter. Uh, breast milk. Um, yeah. Breast goat milk. milk is a good source of it. Goat okay. milk mm-hmm. has actually even more um, per gram than uh, human breast milk does. Oh, really? Uh, so Interesting. Grams. You know, so goat milk is a, a pretty good source of it, and even cow milk has some medium-chain triglycerides in it. Now you're talking about, like, the full-fat versions, full fat. right? Yeah. yeah, if you eat skim milk, you're not going to get any of yeah. it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've often wondered if, you know, when, when I was little, my mother, you know, we had to drink four glasses of whole milk every day. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. And, you know, that was just part of our routine. That was very common in Cincinnati, I guess, where <laughs> I grew up. And But it was then, whole you know, milk. They started encouraging yeah. people, you know, the, the government or whatever, you know, start encouraging people to eat a low-fat diet, you know. So then you switch over to using skim milk. And, and um, in spite of that, you know, eating low-fat everything, I had a weight problem, you know. Oh, yeah. I actually still do, but it's much better than it was, uh, you know, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Dr. Mary, I think one of the things that a lot of people, a lot of our listeners, unless they've been listening for a long time, mm-hmm. will think, oh, gosh, I wonder what happened to Steve's cholesterol numbers yeah. <laughs> by using, because how much, how much coconut uh, oil were you actually using? How much was Steve okay, taking so- in? To try to give him what the medical food, you know, the amount that he would have gotten of medium-chain triglycerides or MCTs from the medical food, um, it worked out to a little over two tablespoons of coconut oil and uh, at one dose. And so what happened, like uh, Steve went for the first screening. This was the morning after I, was, I, was, I found this press release online, and I didn't have time to run out and get coconut oil. And... So he still scored low on the FMSE test. He scored only 14 that day and needed 16 to get into the trial. 
And the doctor there said, uh, let's have him draw a clock. It's a very specific test for Alzheimer's. And what Steve drew was a few little random circles, not even a big circle, mm-hmm. and just a few numbers, you know, like four numbers. And it was just kind of a bizarre-looking thing, didn't look organized at all like a clock. And so she told me that he was on the verge of severe Alzheimer's. And, you know, having read all of this the night before, I thought, what do we have to lose? I'm going to go pick up some coconut oil. You know, so yes. uh, I, I we went out way out of our way to a store. It's now Whole Foods, you know, where uh, I had seen it and picked it up, got home, learned more about coconut oil's composition, how much MCTs are in it and all that, and then, you know, figured out that he needed a little over two tablespoons. And so the next day he was scheduled for his screening uh, at 1 p.m. So I thought I'll give it to him for breakfast. So uh, coconut oil is a little bit solid at room temperature, right. and it melts very quickly if you put it on something warm. So what I did was uh, made some oatmeal and put uh, a little over two tablespoons in that, and I took the same amount. And I have to tell you, the first time I took it, I did have indigestion from it. Right, that <laughs> much at one time. So, yes. Um, it takes, if you have have had your gallbladder removed, for example, it takes a little time to adjust. You just start much smaller and work your way up slowly. Yeah. But... Um, so we went down to the Bird Alzheimer Institute, you know, for his screening. And on the way down, even, he could not remember the day of the week or he couldn't even remember the word spring when I asked him what the season was. He just couldn't pull that out. And I thought, he's not going to do any better. And But when he actually went in for the test, he came out and uh, the nurse comes in the room and she's starting to check his blood pressure and talking about drawing blood. And I said, well, what's going on? And she said, well, didn't he tell you his score was 18 this time? Oh, really? So it pulled up from four points a day before and six points from the previous time we'd been there two weeks earlier, and and he qualified for the study. So we were elated. And, you know, at that point I didn't know for sure if it was the coconut oil or if it was just really good luck or prayers or what, you know. So I decided to keep it going, though, and... So I started giving him that measured amount, a little over two tablespoons every morning for breakfast. That's kind of where we started. And mm-hmm. then I started cooking with it. I got every cookbook I could find, you know, from <laughs> through Amazon and, and uh, you know, looking online for recipes and, you know, basically ended up throwing out the other vegetable oil, except olive oil. We've kept that in our diet, too. But um, I just started cooking with coconut oil at that point and then eventually added measured doses at dinner and then at eventually at lunch and then before bedtime. And just the idea to make this alternative fuel available to his brain around the clock. And um, So, Mary, saw, maybe just explain to listeners again what, why that works, how the ketones get into the cells. Right, right. So the ketones do not need insulin to get into the cells. Okay. And it's a much simpler process. Um, it requires only four enzymes as opposed to 11 enzymes that glucose requires to be metabolized, you know, to get into the um, TCA cycle, it's called, or the Krebs cycle, you know, which mm-hmm. ultimately produces ATP. So it's actually a simpler process for it to get into cells. And it's there from, they've looked back as far as 20 weeks gestation, you know, when the baby's still in the womb, that they're able to use ketones at that point. It's very interesting. It and, is. Um, the mothers tend to go into ketosis uh, much more readily when they're pregnant, you know, women when they're pregnant. Um, so, you know, again, it's probably an evolutionary kind of a thing that we're able to use ketones so efficiently and so easily, you know. 
Um, so, so, Doctor Mary, mm-hmm. how did Steve feel when you after you've used that coconut oil for a few days? Yeah. So, Steve, I mean, he said many times to me that it was like the light switch came on that mm-hmm. day, the very first time he used it. That uh, he felt like a fog lifted and. His whole mood turned around, uh, for one thing. His depression lifted fairly quickly. Really? Uh, what we saw, like in the morning, he would be, before this, he would be very sluggish, uh, ba- barely talking, uh, a lot of tremor going on in his hands and in his jaw when he would try to talk, and he couldn't find, like, the you know, to get water from the door of the refrigerator or a utensil. He just couldn't find it. And um, he started coming out down the hall kind of bouncing down the hall. He was alert. He was talkative. His sense of humor came back. The animation in his face came back. You see that that people with Alzheimer's often have kind of a dead look in their mm-hmm. face, like they're far away. That came back. And, um, you know, his tremors went away. The jaw tremor went away and never did come back. His hand tremor, we would see a little bit some in the morning when he'd first wake up before he would get his coconut oil. And... Um, Eventually, what we saw was that his gait, he had a kind of a weird gait. He couldn't run. He couldn't, and his feet, he would kind of pick them up a little higher than normal and walk very slow. And that all normalized to the point where he could run again. Wow, that's, well, that's amazing. Great. Yeah, that's great. and then he, um, the clock drawing, uh, two weeks after, you know, the, that first clock test, he drew a clock that was a complete circle, had all the numbers all the way around. Wow. And had all these little lines through it. It was kind of interesting. And you have you have diagrams of this all in your book right, too. In my book, and you can see it on my website yep, too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we want to continue on this conversation, but we got to take our last break. Mm-hmm. So hang on the line, Mary. Okay. So you're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. Now, if you have any questions for Dr. Mary Newport, give us a call in the studio at six five one six four one. 1071. For more information, you could go to Dr. Mary's website, which is www.coconutketones.com. We'll be right back. Thanks to nutritional weight and wellness, I no longer suffer from heartburn. Linda from Houston, Texas. I have less joint pain and more energy. John from Portland, Oregon. My moods are better and my anxiety is gone. Jennifer from Chicago. Nutritional Weight and Wellness has helped clients all over the country achieve better health with therapeutic nutrition counseling, and they can help you too. You don't have to live in the Twin Cities to benefit from a consultation because they work with clients nationally through phone and Skype appointments. All you have to do is make the time, and Nutritional Weight and Wellness will provide the plan and support. Therapeutic nutrition counseling from Nutritional Weight and Wellness can help you with diabetes, anxiety, low moods, menopause, arthritis, digestive issues, autoimmune conditions, and so much more. For information on scheduling a phone or Skype nutrition counseling appointment, call Nutritional Weight and Wellness at 651-699-3438 or go to weightandwellness.com. That's weightandwellness.com. So welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. You know, I know you have a lot of questions for Dr. Mary. So, and we're running out of time Yes, today. we are. <laughs> we want to get this information out there. So her website is uh, www.coconutketones.com. And her book is Alzheimer's Disease, What If There Was a Cure? And it's available at Barnes & Nobles, through Amazon, all kinds of bookstores. And, um, yeah, you have a Great question? Pick up. Yeah. And Mary, mm-hmm. so coconut oil and MCT oils <clears throat> have been 
helpful for not only people with Alzheimer's disease, but other neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's, glaucoma, peripheral neuropathy, to name a few. Um, So, you know, what percentage, everybody finds results from it, but what percentage of people that you've, through emails and, and stories that you've heard after you got that message out there, have seen improvement using coconut oil and MCT oil? Yeah, um, so I think people are more likely to write to me if they've had improvement. So this isn't yes. really a scientific study, but about 90% of the people that have written to me uh, about having tried it have reported improvement. And I have a collection now of um, over 300 um, emails from people, and most uh-huh. of them are people with Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. but some are other types of dementias um, that are a little more rare, like Lewy body dementia, frontal temporal lobe dementia, mm-hmm. posterior cortical atrophy. They're a little bit more rare, but they also have that problem where when they do a PET scan, they see decreased glucose uptake mm-hmm. in parts of the brain. And then um, lately I've been hearing from uh, a lot more people with Parkinson's, so apparently the news is getting out to their community a bit, and, you know, I have uh, more than 30 people with Parkinson's that are reporting improvement, and some of these people are long-term now, you know, they've kept in touch, or I had not heard from them at all, and then, you know, uh, I hear from them and said, you know, um, my wife was in a mild stage or an early stage of Alzheimer's, and we started doing this three years ago. And she improved a little bit, and now she's been stable, hasn't gotten worse over three years. So I'm starting to hear from some people that have done this long-term, that have had good results. And and the ones I'm hearing from are people that were really in the earliest, like in the early stages of it. And, um, you know, with Parkinson's, too, uh, I've heard from several who started doing this a few years ago. And the people that seem to have success are people who are doing this every day. They're taking it every day religiously. And in some cases, they've been able to work up to um, a fairly large amount of it. You know, some people are taking as much as eight or ten tablespoons a day. Okay, that's so that's quite a lot. Yes, <laughs> yes. It is. and in, in addition to in, incorporating in these these very important medium chain um, triglyceride fats, um, dietary habits. So, um, you know, what are things that people should do too if if they have these neurodegenerative diseases to help um, in their diet um, to reduce progression? Well, I you know I think. Um, the whole food diet is probably a good way to go and relatively low, not not extremely low carbohydrate, but, um, you know, most Americans eat way too much carbohydrate. Right, the, the processed carbohydrates. Right, so mm-hmm. staying away from trans fats, which the FDA just now has decided yes, finally. are not safe, so they're going to be banned. <laughs> they're they're um, taking them out of our diet, you know, uh, for us, which is good. Um the high fructose corn syrup, you know, an excessive amount of, of sugar uh, probably has a lot to do with the development of insulin resistance. Um, and, you know, this type 3 diabetes of the brain is very much like type 2, and there's just a huge number of people that have type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think uh, eliminating, you know, those types of sugars from the diet. Um, there's some research, uh, there's uh, Jeff Volick and his partner, they have a book called The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living, and they've helped hundreds of uh, type 2 diabetics go into remission over the years. And what they have found in their studies is that staying somewhere under 75 grams of carbohydrate you know, will help people avoid this insulin resistance or help, um, help them, uh, if they are diabetic, kind of get uh, more under control as far as developing the problems of diabetes. And, 
you know, being able to control the blood sugar, you know, avoiding the insulin, the, the spikes in insulin that you get when you eat simple sugars. Right. You know, and over I don't, and over. So, yeah. and we always point people to eating, we always say vegetables, vegetables, vegetables right. for carbohydrates. And, right. Vegetables and different colors of vegetables yes. right. so provide, a, you know, a wide range of nutrients. Uh, in addition to vitamins, there are all these phytonutrients that they're just learning more and more and more about. There are hundreds of them that help support the use of the vitamins and um, antioxidants are in, you know, these uh, in vegetables. Um, fish oil is very important um, to get fish. Eat fish mm-hmm. <laughs> or take fish oil or some type of marine source of omega-3 fatty acid. Um, you can get algae oil if, if you're DHA and you yes. don't eat fish. Yes. Um, but so, the brain uses uh, DHA, you know, which is the um, it's one of the omega three fatty acids. Exactly. Very, very important, um, and it's not in coconut oil, so it's one fat. You know, you can get all the fatty acids you need from taking coconut oil and uh, fish oil, mm-hmm. eating fish. So, um, Doctor Mary, you know, we often have people using coconut milk because they make shakes and all kinds mm-hmm. of things with using coconut milk. Is that just as effective as the oil? Um, it could be. You would just need to take a lot more of it. And um, just some cautions about that. Like uh, they sell cartons like half gallons. Yeah, so those don't not, work. Yeah, they it's are a can. Very, very diluted with water. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's a, you know, you'll see anywhere from 50 to 90 calories in a cup, and it's very diluted. Um, so what I do is I get uh, canned coconut milk, mm-hmm. um, so it's solid. I think you can even, there's some cartons out there of solid coconut milk that hasn't been diluted yet. And I mix it one-to-one, like one can of the, the coconut milk with a can of, I usually use coconut water. I used to use tap water, and the coconut water is very tasty, and it has a lot of other vitamins and other nutrients in it, but a lot of potassium in it, for example, you know, for people that need more potassium. Sure. that's a good idea. Yeah, and it's very tasty. It's a little bit expensive to do it that way, but it's very, very good. And um, when you mix it that way, it's about like one tablespoon of coconut oil would be in about four to five ounces of uh, that mixture. Okay. So So, um, you can use coconut milk to get at least part of it. Um, And, you know, coconut milk has just a tiny bit of sugar and a little bit of protein, but it's mostly the oil. And you don't want to go with the light. You see coconut milk light, that they've removed a lot of the, the oil from it, and exactly. you don't want to get rid of that oil. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> what helps your brain function. Mm-hmm. Milk. Yeah. So, is you know, I know we're just really close to running out of time today, and I know we want to have you back again because I know we're going to have lots and lots of callers yes. and lots mm-hmm. of questions. First of all, Mary, how, you know, is there a way to get a hold of you if people have questions? How how do you want to handle this? Um. I do have, you know, through my website, I have um, an email address. It, I get behind on it because I do get a lot oh, of I questions. Bet. You know, it could take a couple weeks sometimes to, for me to respond, but I do eventually get to all of the emails that people send me. It's ketones, K-E-T-O-N-E-S, 08 at AOL.com. And uh, when you look at the website, keto- Coconut Ketones, Ketones is spelled K-E-T-O-N-E-S. Oh, yes. Um, There's no Y in it. A lot of people try to put a Y in it, and then they can't find it. Um, There's also, uh, like on YouTube, there are a number of videos now, um, different presentations I've given and interviews that I've gotten that people can can look at. Thank you so much, Mary. Yes, thank you. Great to have you on today. Yes, thank you very much. Have a great day. Life, I love you. All is groovy.
Thanks for listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. The content and opinions expressed are those of the hosts or presenters. They are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Statements made with respect to products have not been evaluated by the FDA.